Good morning. I thought that uh, we did have a quite a big crowd today. You know, uh, if the rumors goes on that that Billy Graham coming to speak, uh, I dispel that rumor. <laughs> but what a great life Billy Graham is! Uh, what a great life, and he has blessed so many. All right, Sam says that uh, we're doing recap, and then I was supposed to have some questions and. And uh, Declan, Declan over there will take your account number, and uh, we'll credit, credit the points to you. <laughs> so the first question uh, is uh, one point. Who wrote the book of Isaiah? <laughs> one point, one, one point. But really, you know... Uh, some people are confusing us, and some people say Isaiah was written much after. It's a later book. And one of the justifications they have was because the book of Isaiah had prophecies that were fulfilled to the later. Even Cyrus, the name of Cyrus was mentioned before he was born. How is that possible? So they say, therefore... It couldn't be that Isaiah could have known that. And therefore, it's a later re- written by a later writer. But I think John is right. John, one point for you. Okay, like name. Mehel Shala Hashbat. I do not know whether I pronounced that correctly too. <laughs> Mehel Shala Hashbat. What does it mean? Not my people. Huh? Not my people? Not really? Mehel Shala Hashbat. Oh, okay. That is a 20 point, 20 point question. Alright, it means quick to plunder. Quick to plunder. It shows the, the aggressiveness of, of, of Assyrian coming to invade, invade Judah, uh, uh, Israel. Alright, next one. I like name again. Shia Jahub. Again, the name Shia Jahub. Shia Jahub or Shia Jarub or Shia. It's the name of Isaiah's son. Okay, I'll accept that. But it means a remnant shall return. A remnant shall return. But actually, I really find that, uh, you know, today's sermon is irrelevant because after hearing the first, uh, you know, hearing about uh, how you all have been blessed, uh, by uh, by Chris, by Kylie, and by Pat, uh, Kate. Uh, I think we the, the work is done today. The work is done today. So you have received it well and uh, uh, good. All right, I want to take you a little bit behind the scene and ask, and if you're thinking, why are we actually doing Isaiah? Firstly is that uh, because we believe we want to preach God's word from this pulpit. And we are going through the book this way, each chapter at a time, is because we believe that expository preaching is important for the church growth and teaching. So we take you all through this. So that uh, we will not be tied down to certain people's uh, some preacher will come up with a certain thing they read recently and they get excited and they come and say, okay, this is what 
the agenda is and this is what we preach, you know, preach topically. But we want to take you all through the book of Isaiah. Go through, or any books, we like to grow it systematically. And so that if we come and, uh, I come one day and say, I want to preach to you about adultery and family brokenness. Now I'm not preaching that because I'm hearing some rumors going on. Yeah. But when you come to whatever issue, if I were preaching about covetousness and worldliness, if you are just bought a new car, don't think I'm pointing the finger. So when we preach that way, we are letting God actually work through. So the speaker here, while we tackle the Word of God, is really irrelevant. We let God's Word speak to you. That's why we are preaching that way. Alright, that way. So this is the direction we are taking and I hope it will be a blessing to you. And then we say, uh, when we do that way, we cannot always be preaching the short book. Uh, Amos, uh, uh, Ruth, and all the short books. The Bible got substantially good, big book. Long book. So instead of Leviticus, we will thought, say, yeah, why not Isaiah? No, no, but Isaiah is a book which is of. Now, all books of the Bible are important. All books of the Bible is significant. All books of the Bible are inspired by God and are profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God will be equipped for every good work. So every book of the Bible... But Isaiah do stand up among the Old Testament book to be of great significance. Isaiah. Now, Jesus, when he started his very first sermon, quoted from the book of Isaiah. He opened the book of Isaiah and he read it. And he said, Isaiah 63, I think, and he said, he's pointing to me. And on that was the starting of his ministry. And on the last one of the last encounters he had on the road to Emmaus, when the disciple was confused, they said, what's happening in the world? We have Jesus Christ being crucified and all that, and he was just walking along the road of Emmaus with these two confused disciples, disappointed, depressed disciples. He opened the book of the prophets to say, what's happening? And I believe Isaiah plays a very important role for Jesus to point to what is happening to their world. So Jesus used Isaiah in the middle too, a lot of time. And if we talk about the word Emmanuel, it comes from Emmanuel. It's actually when one of the prophecies in Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. It is from Isaiah. So Isaiah Actually, it's a book which is actually very well sort of quoted and used by Jesus. And what about Paul? Another great writer, a great contributor to the, to the Christian world in his epistle. Paul used two, two thirds of the verses which Paul quoted from the Old Testament come from Isaiah. Come from Isaiah. And looking at church history, I believe that before 
Before the, 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 the writing of the New Testament was put into paper and pen and is distribute, distributed to the early Christian, I believe one of the main readings like we have now on the Sunday, the church will be looking at the book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah is one book, like Chris say, will actually give us the range of God's promises and it actually tie down what's happening to what what Jesus come to fulfill, and then it 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 uh, what do you call grow into our New Testament theology. New Testament theology. It is it was a great moment of time of history. It was really a big shift. This group of Jewish early believers they were. People who practice Judaism during that time. And one of the key and one of the main thing, a taboo perhaps for them is that there's only one God. God is one. And so there is a big, big change to their theology when Jesus Christ came to know that God is now in two persons. And later on, God is in three persons. God the Father. We sang that song. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It was a big change. And they anchor themselves, say, not only they know and see Jesus Christ, not only they feel the movement of the Holy Spirit in their life, but they anchor, I believe, in the prophecies of Isaiah. And did give, give them that, yes, within the book of Isaiah, we see Jesus, the Messianic prophecy. And therefore, they can have confidence to move on to this big change in their theology. So the book of Isaiah contributes very much to that. I believe, therefore I believe, that for a church... Every generation, the book of Isaiah, I believe, have to be preached at least once. Not, not every two years, but through the generation. We should actually listen through the book of Isaiah from the pulpit at least once in each generation. And I think it will benefit the church a lot. A lot. As Kylie said, that, you know, that, that he, she finds so much relevance or this book which written 700 years before Christ can still have relevance for us today. Today. So there is this anchoring of Isaiah to the New Testament church. So Isaiah is an important book for the church. Now, the second thing on the thing is that one of the things which you can find that, alright, this I will sidetrack a bit and tell this about. Now, I'm really thankful for the many voices coming out over here to, to share, to share. And, uh, if there's any elder who is guilty of taking that risk, uh, you, you can shoot me on that. But really, brothers and sisters, I find that among all the churches I go, there is such maturity and such depth of understanding the Word of God in this church that I really don't find in other churches. So if we are to encourage the men to come up and preach, there's many reasons why I think we have to do it. 
Because we have to train, give them challenges, so that they can lift up our church. They are the future of our church. And I hope you all take that, 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 that challenge. Because to come here, they have to prepare, to articulate, to struggle with the word, to raise their standard of study higher than just devotional every day. And they are doing that. And they are doing that. And I listen to the sermon. I really appreciate the work they have put in on them. Now, most of us will have forgotten the sermon we heard on Sunday. But not the preacher who prepared the message. They have remembered what they learned, what God has taught them. And we want that to be the hallmark of our, our people here. To remember God's word deeply. Because we need them. We need them in the next generation. Pray for them. Now, I, I also got uh, some news that the possibility that when they were, they were preparing for the message, it takes a lot of their family times and all that. And we appreciate that. Wife, if there's anything which I feel that you should actually sort of rejoice us even, as your husband prepared the message, taking the time, isn't that good for him to actually deal with God's message, deal with God's word at such level? In his that journey, he will be even more transformed by God's word so that God can use him and talk to him even more keenly. So he will be a better child of God, better person, better husband, better father and mother. And from this, it is also a protection for your family. A protection for your family. When his conscience is pulled to the word of God, to tackle the word of God, and he sees God face to face in his study, isn't that what we want from your husband? To really, really love the God that way. Yes, there are sacrifices. But I believe it's good for the family. It's good for the family. So I thank, I thank the, I thank the, all those who actually, the families, the wife especially, who actually, uh, what do you call, uh, supported the husband through that journey. Through that journey. We do not actually, I do not actually take the risk and just simply drop the head and say, you speak and all that. There was a lot of conversation. And, uh, so, two, before I, you know, we actually quote them out. And one of the things is I really, really appreciate is that we put people up here with no agenda to promote themselves. They are pretty, pretty good in their humility. And uh, so I think that's very important. That's very important. It was not to flatter them or to promote them such way, but to actually encourage them encourage them. So, thank you for that. So, the book Isaiah gives us that. You know, if you have a book to study, they can study if we didn't contact. If they have to talk about adultery, it's within their contact. Not because of their experience, but because within their contact, they can talk about it. Alright? So, that's why we study the book Isaiah. Okay, let me find that there are difficulties which I gather that uh, we may have when we actually Study the book of Isaiah. Now, okay. I flipped my note too fast.
It's been a difficult book. Now, if you find that Isaiah is a difficult book, you are in great compassion. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. It says that the prophets too found it a difficult. That means to say Isaiah also find it difficult to understand his book. You know, the way God inspired him, and he was just saying, God, what are you telling me? And I have to tell this, but I don't even understand. Well, he, he actually shared about the Messianic prophecies and all this, and his, his prophecies sometimes come in just a flash, a bit of here, a bit of there, you know. He actually, from what Peter says, the prophets themselves are already puzzled as well. So if you are puzzled and you find Isaiah being a difficult book, you are in great company. You are in great company. You are among the prophets and even the writer himself, Isaiah. So don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Now it's difficult because it's not a narrative writing. A narrative writing is like what we read in Genesis. You can follow the story. Even if you don't understand bit and pieces, you cannot pull out some lesson. You can still enjoy the story. Who do not like the story of Noah's flood? I still remember Paul did a very good one uh, for the children on Noah's and the ark. Right, Paul? That was, I still remember the, the, the paddock he took us to, how big the size is and all that. Paul, we should have more of that, Paul. Start thinking of it. It's great. So, you know, the story of Noah's Ark, the Ten Commandments. The, so, when we read narrative, we could straight away engage and we should read straight away at least enjoy the story. Enjoy the story. Okay? So, it's not narrative writing, but there are narratives too. And we have narrative of the King Hezekiah as he faced Sennacherib in the later part. Uh, it, it, uh, um, probably it will be in... September or September, chapter 33 to 40, that time. There are narrative as well. But Isaiah was written on the backdrop of a narrative found in 2nd King. 2nd King. What's happening around there? We were talking about history. The, the Northern uh, Assyrian uh, Empire coming down south to, to whack Israel, to whack all the people around there. There's narrative around there. And you can get a better picture, perhaps, if you actually read the kings, second king especially, two kings, it was during that period. So it's not narrative writing and therefore we find difficult. The second thing we find difficult is because it's not instructive. It's not instructive like the epistle. When you read the epistle, you find it easy because, you know, Paul said, do this and do that, you know, and why you should do this, how you should conduct the Lord's Supper, why you should not have division to the church, how the church should actually be operating like a body. So when we read that kind of instructive, we could straight away say, all right, I get it. This what is a direct uh, teaching. I just pull it out and I can use it. So it's not directive writing. So it's a bit difficult. So whatever you can get from Isaiah, you should actually meditate and pull it out yourself. So that's a little bit of work. But that is good worthwhile work, alright? So one of the other thing is when we talk about prophecies, I like what Ra put it, but uh, the, 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 the picture, but I see it a bit differently. I see the prophecies in Isaiah, like you take your glasses, 
You smash your glasses, you put it back, and you see things. You know, kilodoscope. Because that's what it is. You see the beginning of, at the beginning of the chapter, chapter 2, you see the end. God being glorified already. And then you later you see the prophetic, uh, 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 what do you call, prophetic utterance of, uh, of uh, when Isaiah told King Ahab, uh, a virgin shall conceive and he shall bear a son. And you get this bit and pieces everywhere. Now it is easy to connect the dot when we look backward. When we see how Isaiah's prophecy fulfilled the immediate prophecies of the Assyrian Assyrian, uh, uh, what do you call, invasion, or how uh, the, 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 the kingdom of Judah was broken, and, and, and how a remnant was taken out. We could see that when we look backward. But when the people during that time was listening to Isaiah, they were just as puzzled. They were just as puzzled, as told you. How could when this big nation really whacked us, that there could still be somebody left because... The Assyrian Empire believed in killing everybody. Gouge out their eye. So during that time, they were probably puzzled. So, prophecies are easy to look backward. And maybe they are, they are supposed to be that. For us to look backward and say, Ah, now we understand God's hand was in it all the while. You get it? God's hand is in it all the while. And when I look forward... And I look at like chapter, even chapter 2 and I see that, you know, God's rule coming out. How the, the, the weapons are to be transformed to farm equipment. Then we understand, oh, that's going to be a great day. God is in control. God is in control. So the prophecy to me is, uh, to me, I do not like to connect the dot as much, and, and but rather to appreciate that in whatever circumstances there is, God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. All right, I have to just answer some question which uh, uh, what do you call uh, Colin asked me to write some risk that I mean great that. Some of you are actually taking the book Isaiah and having a Bible study on it. So they asked from time to time us who are preaching to give some questions. So I told Colleen that uh, I gave her a question actually about four weeks back and all that. But as I prepare this message, I find that I'm starting to move away from what I wanted to answer that question. But i just give a few. For example, if you look at chapter 2, when you read Isaiah chapter 2, on the surface value, you think, we think that, you know, this is about the time when, you know, everything done and God is in rule. But you tease out, you start to tease out the different character mentioned then. You start to wonder, is this the final, final kingdom? Because nation will have to come to God for instruction. That means at that time of rule, there could be still imperfectness. Isaiah chapter 2. So you have to answer the question, which part? Some people think it's the millennium kingdom. So I would not want to commit one or the other. But you can tease this out. 
And then you can tease it out when you say that the part whereby uh, people will actually fall to rocks, go and hide in the rocks. You can relate straight away to Revelation. John used that as the imagery. When they see the coming Jesus Christ, people will say, fall on us, rock, cover us, because great, we are scared, we are fearful of the coming of Jesus Christ. So actually they are related and, and, and they could actually sort of uh, help us to see things ha- going to happen, but I will be very, personally, I do not have any framework, framework of saying that, you know, I'm what they call pre-trip, A-trip, pre-meal, A-meal, or a millionaire. But I, I, I haven't studied that much to actually, sorry, but I have heard some Debates. One of the things is, if you do not know that this kind of thing is that, is there any, uh, what you call, is the wording finished, you know? You actually listen to debate at a very high level and actually listen to all the view. And if these people could not actually convince each other, we say then the wording is still up there. <laughs> you know? So this is my, this is my, my take on it. Alright, this is my take on it. Okay, so prophecy becomes a problem as we actually want to actually say what's going to happen next. Do not worry what's going to happen next in the sequent way, sequential way. But God is in control. God is in control. Uh, somebody says that, you know, I'm, I'm uh, post-tribulation, post which means to say they, they are prepared to face tribulation and then after Christ comes, they say, but I'm willing to change my mind halfway in the air. That I'm that way. I'm, I'm a pessimistic. So I'm preparing for hard time to come. Hard time to come. Because what happens is that coming from where I come from, I find that tribulation and persecution is very local. Don't talk about global. Global, you talk about global, but we will feel persecution, hardship and tribulation at the local level where we can actually feel it. Be prepared for it. I would say be prepared for it. Do not think that we will have this public ministry forever in Australia. Do not think that this kind of sharing straight from the Word of God holding the integrity of what we say as the truth of God will be always available for us. I want to think of it even as we come to our mission uh, week, uh, vision week on August 8th. What can we do also to think forward for the children? How are we going to prepare our church to be able to face the changing of the law, of society, to prepare our children so that they actually have good protection through the Word of God, even as they face this changing scenario. Okay, so persecution is very local, very local. So if if I find that uh, if we find all this difficulty, what can I suggest to you? I suggest to you that uh, read the book of Isaiah devotionally. Take the book, 
Go in God in prayer, pray, and read. And as you read, you start to pull up some things which appear to be beneficial. Things you can use as values you want to adopt, perhaps. Values. You may want to actually read about some warnings which the book, the passage you're reading, come to you. Warnings. And then you can see some attributes of God. Attributes of God coming through the reading for, for us to worship. There's also things of comfort and things of assurances, even as we face day to day. So as you read devotionally, you can actually tease out, pull out all this and actually enjoy the book of Isaiah. But be prepared to be challenged with things you may not understand. Be challenged to be prepared that you cannot completely understand the passage perhaps. But this may be the time you are making new grounds to your understanding of God. You're breaking up, understanding a little bit more of God, rather than moving away from the comfort zone. You may be actually having this uh, thing in your mind and you're going, what does it mean as you walk around? And slowly, slowly, and maybe even forget the question, but you're exercising your spiritual thinking. You're exercising your spiritual thinking. You know, uh, this exercise of picking up the dumbbell up and down, up and down, at the end of the day, the dumbbell is still there, but you gain the muscles, right? So some of this is actually doing that. You're exercising your spiritual inside. You're struggling with God. God, I do not understand this. And I believe those who, God says, he who seek me will find me. Will find me. So be prepared to go through new ground that you may not understand, but be at peace, be at peace with it. Be at peace with it. Alright, some highlight and theme. Now if, if in one verse, you want to summarize the book of Isaiah, what would yours be? What would yours be? Destiny. Which one? Destiny. Which words will come out from? Well, that, that would be my summary. Oh, a summary. Destiny. The word. Oh, word. All right. Word. Good. Destiny. Good. It is uh, showing God's having that that uh, thing in field on present, past, and future. Right. Good. Very good. God's in control. Anything else? Any words? I'm thinking of a verse. Yep. Very good. We always look forward because the Bible also says that these are things even the 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 the, the, the sages was looking forward not the present kingdom but for the kingdom to come. It actually pulls us to that direction, looking forward. Now, for me, after listening to a lot of people giving suggestion on that, I thought what Sam said this morning hit the point. For me is. Isaiah chapter 6. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The sovereignty of God. 
the sovereignty of God. I saw the Lord lifted up. Lifted up in all this. He is lifted up. When we see all these pretenders of power, the Assyrian king, the local king Ahab, all are pretenders. God is lifted up high above that. He is in control. Our Lord is high and lifted up. So we see that. And we, I, see, I see this. And I see that God is lifted up in, in a lot of situations in Isaiah. And he says that, you know, as, as uh, David was saying that, you know, destiny. He's lifted up through history. You must, when you read Isaiah, you come and say that nothing is amiss. He has everything in control. He is lifted up. He is that numero uno. Number one. That is our God. And we have confidence in our God. In our God. Even in the midst of all the problems the people of Judah are facing, the big king of Assyria or the, 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 the important king of King Ahab, the, the troubles we have around there. But that is that part which they can say, I see the Lord lifted up. And Isaiah in his commission to start his ministry, he caught the vision. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord lifted up and his throne and his glory filled the temple. Filled the temple. Sometimes when I walk into this place to worship, I was hoping, God, would it be today? Will we worship such a way that suddenly we come here and then we have such an exuberant and God's spirit will just move us and say, and the window will be blown away. And we will have the spirit of God fill us. Because he is, he is, he is. So I like the Lord is little one. And the antithesis to that is this. Isaiah spoke a lot about pride. He spoke a lot about pride or how we should not be proud. How the Assyrian king, you are proud, I will bring you down. He talked about how the people, you know, you, you raise yourself up, even the people of his people, the people of Judah, people of Judah was actually struggling with this issue of pride. God said, we'll, I'll humble you. I'll bring you down. He even actually in Isaiah chapter 14, he speaks, he speaks of, he speaks of the devil, Satan. Satan wanting to be Upsurging the heavenly order. He wanted to be God. And God threw him down to earth. Isaiah chapter 14. So, this is one issue I think come up very strongly. That God is lifted up and we should know our place. We should worship the Lord. So, these are some, I mean, I just broadly say, and then when we speak of the prophecy, we have the immediate prophecy of Isaiah time, we have the Messianic prophecy of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, these people who say that 
Isaiah right, you know, it couldn't be true that he can actually prophesy. All right, I give them all right. Let's say for 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 the sake of argument that they are right. That this Isaiah book was written by many authors after they seeing what happened to the kingdom of Judah. Let's say they are right. But how is this group of authors being able to prophesy about Jesus Christ? You get what I mean? The book of Jesus Christ was prophesied much before he came. The detail of, of him. If you say that this group of writers write about over the kingdom of Assyria, about the, 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 the exile and all that. Okay. Let's accept they right. But how do they know about the detail Jesus Christ is coming again? Because it actually was after that time. And we have the Dead Sea Scroll to show that that was returned much before Jesus Christ came out. So, I think conclusively, John is right. The book of Isaiah was written by Isaiah. By Isaiah. Okay? So, so God praised the Lord, His life lifted up. Alright, I come to the end. Uh, uh, where are we now? Uh, next week, we have Mission Week. And following that, we ask uh, David Wilson to come here and deal with, uh, just to give a break, Apologetics. Okay? Apologetic. If, if, if you are not familiar with the word, he's not going to apologize for anybody. <laughs> Apologetic is our defense on the Bible. It's just to, to show that, you know, the Bible has relevance and is actually uh, answering to our world question. One of, so, uh, so he's asking for some question of what should he tackle. Apologetic actually have a lot of range about creation, about uh, ethics, and all that. One of the objections of people on the Bible is that they found that in the Old Testament, God is depicted as a warring God. How do you explain to people when God sanctioned war? So we pass that question to him and let him answer. Good to give him tough question. So uh, I hope he could actually, uh, what do you call, help us in that area. So, but after that, you know, we'll come to after the two weeks, uh, two weeks of apologetic. We'll continue with Isaiah, as uh, uh, Sam had mentioned, and then that part will be having again about judgment, about about God actually looking at uh, at at the kingdom of. Judah. Now, just a thought. Before Jesus Christ came, they have all the book writing of the Old Testament. And there was a lot of people trying to piece together. Piece together. You know, how is this Messiah coming about? Some say it's one Messiah, some people say it's two Messiah, because the, 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 the different portrayal of the Messiah, some people say there are many Messiah, some people say there's no Messiah, so they'll be confused, even though they could be believers, or even what you call uh, and believers and scholars, so they are, they are, they are, they are not sure. But when Jesus Christ came, we saw him. 
fulfilling Isaiah 53. 53. Okay? But one part of Isaiah we should not miss, even as we read to the next few chapters about judgment and all that, is that God is the God of holiness. We are taken out a lot by God's mercy on the cross, on Jesus Christ. He's great. Jesus Christ came, showed his love, died on us on the cross. But God is a God. You read in Isaiah, he judges then, he will judge again. Evil will not be permitted in his kingdom. We should get to that. We are men, not to be just a restored people because we are safe. We are men to be holy. We are men to be holy. So let's pick it up and say, you know, the book of Isaiah, to see how we could actually honor the Lord by being transformed to be holy as He desired us to be. Holy as He desired us to be. So, there will also be a narrative at uh, chapters, uh, just before chapter 40. But I really, really, really hope that we could actually move all the way to Adele chapter 66. Because the best is yet to come. From Isaiah chapter 40 onward is the time whereby God revealed the hope we're going to have. The hope of His new kingdom. The tone move. So much so that there's a, there's a musical called The Messiah. Uh, Messiah, right? Handel, uh, Messiah, right. It starts with, Comfort me, comfort me. Isaiah chapter 40. And a big musical score. So, we are there. Let's get on. And I hope we could actually move on. Isaiah 53, great chapter. And we move on to Isaiah 66, the culmination of things. So this is, I hope, what could come. But of course, you all will have a say to it. Let me end today by just reading Isaiah chapter 6. If you've you got a Bible, just let's turn to Isaiah chapter 6. This is one of the most stirring verses in the Bible I always read. Isaiah chapter 6. I won't preach, I'll just read. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him was a seraph, each with six wings, with two wings, they covered their face, faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. And the whole world is filled with His glory. May the Lord fill His glory from this church. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you, dear Lord God, for you are high and lifted up. And we have the privilege to know you. 
And we have a privilege to worship you. And we have a privilege, dear Lord God, to be under your welfare. We thank you for that, dear Lord God. We pray that, dear Lord God, even as we read your word, you always stir our heart up, dear Lord God. Stir our heart up to actually want to see your glory more and more in our life. We pray for this, dear Lord God. In Jesus' most precious name. Amen.